Thanks for tuning in today. My name is Timothy Putnam, and I will be your host for the next hour as we examine the foundations of our faith, as we explore the impact our faith has on our daily lives, as together we prepare to live outside the walls. Later in the show, we have Deacon Kevin Sartorius, the Executive Director of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Tulsa. He's going to come in and talk to us about death and resurrection as we are here in the midst of our celebration of the season of Easter. Of course, as you may know, Easter is not over. It wasn't just that one Sunday. Not only that, it wasn't just the eight days of the octave of Easter. Uh, Easter goes on for 50 days, all the way from Easter Sunday to Pentecost. Uh, So while you may have fasted, for 40 days during the season of Lent, we are going to make up for that with our feasting during this season of Easter. So before he comes in, we're going to spend some time, as always, in prayer, uh, in examining the scripture, and in, uh, in reading a document of the church. Now, as you know, we generally like to do a doctor of the church or a father of the church, reading something between the first few centuries and the Middle Ages. But today we're bringing it up and we're going to read a document from about 31 years ago. And we're going to be reading from Salvifici Dolores, which is an encyclical on redemptive suffering. Uh, And this uh, may seem a little bit odd being in the middle of Easter to talk about suffering, but I believe that it will make sense as we get further into the show. Now, before we get there, I did want to, to announce something. This is specifically for my Oklahoma audience, but the, you in Kentucky, you can listen in. Uh, we are, again, expanding. We're adding uh, eight more radio stations from the Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network. Uh, but in order to do that, we are also moving our times. So listen for the commercials. Uh, find out on social media as well you can find that at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on twitter our handle is at outside the walls but beginning next week our first airing of the show is going to be on saturday mornings Uh, this is specifically for oklahoma uh, but we'll have a saturday morning show and then we'll air again we'll have rebroadcasts on monday we're going to move those from seven to eight o'clock so we'll be on the air at 8 a.m now and then the the wednesday and thursday times will remain the same So just be aware that starting next week, we have a new schedule, and that's all to to help facilitate our expansion to new stations. Now, let's go ahead and open up our time together in prayer. God the Father was glorified in the death and resurrection of His Son. Let us pray to Him with confidence, saying, Lord, enlighten our minds. Father of lights, You bathed the world in splendor when Christ rose again in glory, Fill our minds with the light of faith. Lord, enlighten our minds. Through the resurrection of your Son, you opened for us the way to eternal life. As we work today, sustain us with the hope of glory. Lord, enlighten our minds. Through your risen Son, you sent the Holy Spirit into the world. Set our hearts on fire with spiritual love. Lord, enlighten our minds. May Jesus Christ, who is crucified to set us free, be today our salvation and redemption. Lord, enlighten our minds. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Grant, we pray 
Almighty God, that we, who have been renewed by paschal remedies, transcending the likeness of our earthly parentage, may be transformed in the image of our heavenly Maker, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We'll be taking our readings today from Saturday, April 11th. Our first reading comes from Acts chapter 4. Observing the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving them to be uneducated, ordinary men, the leaders, elders, and scribes were amazed, and they recognized them as the companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing there with them, they could say nothing in reply. So they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin and conferred with one another, saying, What are we to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that a remarkable sign was done through them, and we cannot deny it. But so that it may not spread any further among the people, let us give them a stern warning, never again to speak to anyone in this name. So they called them back, and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, however, said to them in reply, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them, finding no way to punish them on account of the people who were all praising God for what had happened. That reading comes from Acts chapter 4. The responsorial psalm today comes from Psalm 118. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. My strength and my courage is the Lord, and He has been my Savior. The joyful shout of victory in the tents of the just. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord has struck with power. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Though the Lord has indeed chastised me, yet He has not delivered me to death. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me. Open to me the gates of justice, and I will enter them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The just shall enter it. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me and have been my Savior. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me. The Gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. When Jesus had risen, early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told his companions, who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and that he had been seen by her, they did not believe. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them walking along their way to the country. They returned and told the others, but they did not believe them either. But later, as the eleven were at table, he appeared to them and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had been raised. And he said to them, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. That gospel comes from the gospel of Mark chapter 16. Today's reading from a document of the church comes from the apostolic letter Salvifici Dolores, which is redemptive suffering or on the Christian meaning of suffering. This is from St. Pope John Paul II. It was published in 1984, so it's about 31 years ago. And we're going to be reading from section 23. The gospel paradox of weakness and strength often speaks to us from the pages of the letters 
of St. Paul, a paradox particularly experienced by the Apostle himself and together with him experienced by all who share Christ's sufferings. Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians, I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In the second letter to Timothy, we read, And therefore I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And in the letter to the Philippians, he will even say, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Those who share in Christ's sufferings have before their eyes the paschal mystery of the cross and resurrection, in which Christ descends in a first phase to the ultimate limits of human weakness and impotence. Indeed, he dies nailed to the cross, but if at the same time in this weakness there is accomplished his lifting up, confirmed by the power of the resurrection, then this means that the weakness of all human sufferings are capable of being infused with the same power of God manifested in Christ's cross. In such a concept, to suffer means to become particularly susceptible particularly open to the working of the salvific powers of God, offered to humanity in Christ. In him, God has confirmed his desire to act especially through suffering, which is man's weakness and emptying of self, and he wishes to make his power known precisely in this weakness and emptying of self. This also explains the exhortation in the first letter of Peter, Yet if one suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but under that name let him glorify God. In the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul deals still more fully with the theme of this birth of power in weakness. This spiritual tempering of man in the midst of trials and tribulations, which is the particular vocation of those who share in Christ's sufferings. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Suffering, as it were, contains a special call to the virtue which man must exercise on his own part, and this is the virtue of perseverance, in bearing whatever disturbs and causes harm. In doing this, the individual unleashes hope, which maintains in him the conviction that suffering will not get the better of him, that it will not deprive him of his dignity as a human being, a dignity linked to the awareness of the meaning of life. And indeed, this meaning makes itself known together with the working of God's love, which is the supreme gift of the Holy Spirit. The more he shares in this love, man rediscovers himself more and more fully in suffering, he rediscovers the soul which he thought he had lost because of suffering. That reading comes from the 1984 apostolic letter Salvifici Dolores from St. Pope John Paul II. The English translation of that is On the Christian Meaning of Human Suffering. And we just read one section. Uh, it's a much more rich letter. And while that section can stand alone, uh, there's so much more depth and so much more richness in the full letter. So you can find that on the Vatican website. We'll put a link to it uh, on the podcast uh, links, uh, but also uh, on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Our Twitter is at outside the walls. 
and so you can read that online. But if you're more of a book person, we're going to be giving away a, a, a copy of this letter later in the show, as well as another uh, encyclical. And so I encourage you to stick around. Uh, Deacon Kevin Sartorius is going to help us give that away in the third, uh, no, the beginning of the fourth segment. Uh, now, let's just talk a little bit. We've got some time today to break this out. And of course, we're in the season of Easter. So why would we talk about suffering? Well, that's the perennial question. Why do good people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? And really, what we mean by that is why do bad things happen to me or the people that I love? And uh, there's so much to it. I remember a, a stage in my life where I was experiencing my own brand of suffering. Uh, and I would approach God and I would, I would ask that question, why suffering? Why me in this suffering? Uh, and of course, St. Pope John Paul II addresses that question in this letter. So I do encourage you to take a look at it. But, but when it's you personally, it's a little bit more complex than just being given an answer because it's more than just rationality. There's a great deal of emotion involved in suffering as well. And so the emotional questions have to be answered as well as the rational questions. And for me, as I would approach scripture and ask God, why me, why suffering? Uh, for about six months, every day, I'd, I'd open up my Bible looking for something because I was taught that the answers were there. Uh, and so I just heard the voice of God, still and small in my spirit, tell me to go read Hebrews 5.8. And uh, then the next day, I'd read it, and it was Hebrews 5.8. And for six months, uh, God would not let me read anywhere else, just Hebrews 5.8. And that says, although Christ was a son... He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Out of suffering comes glory. Out of suffering comes maturity that brings us more and more into the image of Christ. And while at the time that we're experiencing it, it feels almost unbearable, like at any moment, if it continues, we'll simply burst and, and not be able to, to go on. Uh, yet that suffering molds us and makes us more like Christ. It makes us obedient to the Father uh, to depend on Him in all things for our strength and our support, and He eventually will elevate us to glory. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Deacon Kevin Sartorius, Director of Catholic Charities for the Diocese of Tulsa. Stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Pop on over to social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls, or on Twitter, our handle is at Outside the Walls, and let us know what station you're listening on. We're here today with Deacon Kevin Sartorius from the Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Tulsa, where he's the executive director. Uh, very glad to have him in studio today uh, to celebrate the season of Easter and resurrection with us. So thank you for being here today. Thank you, Timothy. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Uh, so we're, we're going to be talking about, uh, in the in the next segment, the Porticelli House, which is a new initiative of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Tulsa that is a, a hospice care for those who are near death, which, believe it or not, 
that's going to tie in to Easter and the resurrection when we get there. But first, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, Catholic charities here in the Diocese of Tulsa, because it's it's an odd uh, or, or at least unique hmm. Catholic charities in terms of uh, go, if you were to go to another diocese and compare it with other charities. Uh, there's so much more to what we do than, than could be summed up if you were to, to visit Catholic Charities National. Uh, and so we want to talk a little bit about what it is that uh, sets the DNA for the Catholic Charities here uh, and what it is that makes us maybe a little unique in the way that we operate. Uh, so when you walk up to Catholic Charities, the first thing that I notice is uh, everything's in one place. Uh, it used to be when you first came on, you had facilities all over the city. Uh, so if you wanted this service, you'd have to drive across town. If you needed the other service, you'd drive across town again. Uh and the buildings were uh, repurposed and they were probably getting a little bit old and in disrepair. And you came in and had this vision uh, to have everything under one roof, as it were. It's actually still under multiple roofs, but it's all in one location. And when you drive up, uh, there's this, you, you drive through a, <laughs> when I come to it, I come from the north and, and you come through this industrial area and then there's a junior college and then, and then there's this beacon Hmm. Uh, right there in the middle of town that that draws you uh, to a, it feels secure it feels welcoming and inviting uh, and if you come from the south you come through some poorer neighborhoods uh, but then there's that same thing there's this there's this beacon of of safety and hope and then and then there's a firehouse right next door to it which you know is supposed to be the beacon of hope and security and yet Catholic Charities kinds of usurps that role on the block. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about uh, about the architecture uh, and about what it is that makes Catholic Charities here unique. Yeah, that's great. We, um, about 15 years ago, were in 12, 13 buildings with all of our programs, and there was a drive to consolidate those by our board, by Bishop Slattery. And we uh, had uh, the opportunity then to make Catholic Charities what we wanted it to be mm-hmm. in, this, in this reset of the facilities. And so bringing all the programs together allows for incredible collaboration. Our Madonna House, our residential program, can work with our uh, food pantry and our commercial kitchen and our classrooms mm-hmm. or our dental uh, program. And uh, so we have a great synergy with the programs in one campus. Also, though, I think that it gave us an opportunity to say, what does it mean to be a Catholic organization architecturally? And uh, as you point out, uh, we really do uh, stand out as kind of a city on a hill, a little tiny city on a hill there at at Catholic Charities, in that we have um, this California mission architectural style and it uh, is very inviting. It's very Catholic. You you take one look at it and you say, I know who those guys are. <laughs> yeah. uh, it also is built in such a way that it's not overdone, but it, it shows that it's going to be there for the next, say, 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that facility is not going to uh, go away. Uh, the Catholic Church is not going to go away. We're going to be there standing in solidarity with the poor mm-hmm. uh, through the generations. Many, many churches in the Diocese of Tulsa, many um, Protestant or evangelical churches that would pop up in in North Tulsa at least, will be there for a two or three year lease and then they disappear. They just close down and and go away. Right. That's not going to happen here. 
we wanted the architecture to show um, the uh, the beliefs of the Catholic Church, the strength of the church, uh, the longevity of the church, um, the um, the authenticity of the church. And so you'll see in as you walk up the big wood beams, big Douglas fir wood beams of this California mission style. And uh, then you'll go in and you'll see um, tile on the floor, you'll see a marble altar in the chapel, you'll see a bell tower. All of these things we told the architect and the uh, construction company, they have to be authentic. They have to be truly what they are. So if we're going to use wood, it's really going to be wood. If we're going to use marble, it's really going to be marble. If we have a bell tower, we need bells. And if we have bells, they're going to be real bells, not some sound system. Because in that chapel, we have uh, the Blessed Sacrament. And it's not a symbol as faux wood could be or faux marble. Mm-hmm. It's truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we show all of these other elements, we're pointing everything uh, to the tabernacle, to Christ himself, truly there. Not symbolically there, but truly there Mm -hmm. at Catholic Charities. And so that brings us then to liturgy, I suppose, which would be probably another unique aspect of our Catholic Charities uh, to a certain degree. Uh, We have, we start our day with morning prayer, uh, the liturgy of the hours, and then we have mass every day. Uh, One uh, gift that we have is that the Catholic priests of our diocese come to Catholic Charities to experience the poor and to uh, pray for the poor through the the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And so last year there were 47 different priests who came to Catholic Charities to celebrate Mm. Mass. Uh, That happens every day. And then we go straight from uh, the Eucharist into three hours of adoration. And we have Eucharistic adoration daily at Catholic Charities. And that uh, ends at 3 o'clock at the time of our Lord's Passion. Mm-hmm. And so uh, many of the things that happen there are, are really very uh, Catholic-centered. Another uh, unique aspect, I would say, is our donor uh, arrangement, if you will. Mm-hmm. Most Catholic charities have a very large contingent of their funding coming from a state contract or a federal contract. We have, uh, through a gift that we've been given uh, from Archbishop Beltran, 25 years ago, we have a philosophy, if you will, that we will reflect the Catholic people. We are, after all, Catholic charities, right? Right. right. <laughs> and so with that, we really want to make sure that uh, we reflect the Catholic donor. And uh, if we're funded by them, we will reflect their, their attitudes. Mm-hmm. If you are funded by the state or by the federal government, you're tending to twist your mission into something that they would like to see so that you can maintain or even gain more funding. Yeah. And I think that there's this, uh, this drive and I've seen friends and and others who work maybe in state organizations like uh, state health and then the federal government or, or the state government cuts funding and so you see this drive to do anything they can mm-hmm. to maintain that funding. And, and of course, if we're a third party uh, and not even a state organization, then we would be more likely to be cut and, and maybe more likely to uh, to have to be put with the choice of, am I going to try and keep this funding to be able to do more good 
or am I going to continue in the mission of Christ? Right. That's right. And so it becomes a, a place where you're torn in different directions. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we would like to avoid. Now, we are um, quantitatively uh, smaller than many Catholic charities in the United States because of that philosophy. Mm-hmm. But from um, a, uh, a quality of service standpoint, mm-hmm. I would say that we are uh, really second to none. And uh, maybe I'm a little biased in that, <laughs> but I really believe it. Yeah. So uh, you've, you've set these things in motion to really create a Catholic identity. Uh, what do you experience when, when you have people coming in for help? Because we are a missionary diocese in the Diocese of Tulsa. We were somewhere between uh, 4 and 6% Catholic overall, maybe 10% Catholic in the urban area. Uh, what do you experience uh, in terms of people's uh, uh, response to the Catholic identity being so much in your face. I mean, you drive up and you've got the the stained glass window of the asc- uh, Ascension of Christ, right? Uh, and then you drive into the parking lot and there is a, a bronze statue of Madonna of the streets. And I mean, it's very much high. We're Catholic uh, in a very high. We're not Catholic kind of a city. Uh, what do you experience there in terms of people's response? You know, I find that people are really very accepting of our uh, Catholic identity and and our Catholic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, you know, this is the interesting part about it. Uh, many people would say, well, you're going to turn people off if you do that. But who was turned off by Blessed Mother Teresa mm-hmm. in Calcutta, right. India, where there were probably no Catholics? Uh, right. And yet she was there serving the poor in a very Catholic way. Mm-hmm. And the entire world recognized that and and loved her for that. Now, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I think we can endeavor to emulate uh, that example and to say we're going to go out full force Catholic because we'll receive the grace of God by doing that, and that will sustain us in our efforts. And so when people come in, uh, people come in and ask questions. Mm-hmm. What's with that lady out there? <laughs> uh, or uh, they will come in uh, crying and say, I have not heard bells like that since I was a little, a little kid, and yeah. this really reminds me that I need to go to church. And um, it doesn't hurt when you've got, you know, the executive director and some of the other people in the that work there walking down the hall in cassocks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, we you know, again, this is one of those things where it gives people a a license to ask questions Mm -hmm. when you have uh, clerics on campus walking around uh, or religious sisters, for that matter. Uh, they will attract uh, questions, mm-hmm. and that's uh, an, a means of evangelization that is not uh, using a hammer. You know, we're not beating anybody up. Right. We're giving them an open door, and right. and so that could be a statue that's in someone's office of Saint Francis of Assisi, and they say, "What's that about?" You know, and then it sparks a conversation, mm-hmm. uh, and that then leads to prayer very often, and awesome. so it's just a real blessing. On the altar, the marble altar there in the chapel, uh, you have in Latin, the love of Christ compels us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's something that we all need to remember. It's something that St. Paul said. It's something that needs to be a part of our life, that uh, faith is not the Sunday morning proposition. The love of Christ compels us to go out to share the gospel, the good news. Gospel is not a scary word. It just means the good news mm-hmm. of the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implication that has for our lives. 
When we come back, we're going to be talking with Deacon Kevin Sartorius about that new initiative, the Porticelli House. We're also going to be giving away a couple of books, so you're not going to want to miss it. Stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about the Christian meaning of human suffering in light of the resurrection. Of course, we are in the season of Easter, 50 days of Easter, and we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ and all the implications that that has for us, including the implication that it has for us as we deal with the human condition and human suffering. We're here today with Deacon Kevin Sartorius, who's the Executive Director of Catholic Charities here in the Diocese of Tulsa, where we are recorded and then shipped out to the world. Uh, And so we're very glad to have him in here today. And and we got through all of that last segment just by way of introduction for those who live outside the diocese. Uh, But we really brought you in today to talk about the Porticelli House, which is a a hospice care. Uh, And, you know, for me, uh, I grew up in, in... the, the non-denominational or uh, mainline denomination Protestant world in between those two. And there's this, uh, this this strand of latent Gnosticism that still is present that I grew up with and, and wasn't aware that, hey, I was Gnostic until I became a Catholic and said, hey, that's bad. I shouldn't be Gnostic anymore. Uh, but there's this idea that, oh, well, I'm, I'm just a spiritual being, uh, having difficulty adjusting to my human life. And when I die, you know, just put the body in the ground because it's just a shell anyway, and I'm going to be in heaven happy. And uh, and that really is left over from Gnosticism, which said that the physical world is, is for nothing and that the spiritual world is all there is. Uh, and that's the true reality. And Catholicism and Christianity uh, at, at our core has the hope of the resurrection, which we're celebrating right now here in these 50 days of Easter. Hallelujah. Uh, that Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ <laughs> is risen indeed. So um, what we believe is that we will be bodily resurrected. We believe in the bodily resurrection, just as Christ uh, was raised from the dead and still had the, the nail holes and the, the, the spear, the lance, Uh, wound in his side that yes it was still his body now it was a glorified body and and didn't necessarily obey all the laws of our physics you know passing through the the locked door but it was still his body and so we have because of our belief in the bodily resurrection uh, we have more care for the body. We, we can't just uh, abuse it however we want, whether it be through, uh, through too much food or alcohol or through uh, illicit drug use or anything else, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, uh, and, and not only while we're here on earth, but that when we, uh, at the final judgment, at the final day when Christ returns, we believe Christ will come again, uh, that 
those bodies will be resurrected and our spirits will be reunited with those bodies. Uh, and yes, it's, you know, we, we think about, well, that doesn't seem logical because we know that, you know, cremation happens. We know that decomposition happens. How can those bodies be ours again? And I just point to the book of Ezekiel where the Valley of Dry Bones was raised up and re-enfleshed by God. God who created out of nothing can certainly create out create out of the recreate out of the atoms of what used to be us right. uh, but we still have our bodies and so one of the ways that that plays out for you and for catholic charities uh, is care for the body to the very last uh, in the porticelli house and and the true death with dignity as opposed to the uh, the, the death with dignity laws or acts that are being pushed around a uh, deep respect for the body. So tell us a little bit about the reasoning behind Porticelli and uh, and some of the specifics as well. Sure, sure. Well, uh, it is very appropriate to be talking about this uh, as we uh, enter into the Easter season because uh, the Catholic Church, in a pro-life way, believes in uh, honoring the person from conception to natural death. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have an adoption program, we have a maternity residential program, we have an OBGYN program at our Catholic Charities. We now, with Porta Celi House, have a home where people who have no other place to be cared for can come and live their last days and then uh, die with us. Mm -hmm. And we would expect between 200 and 400 people uh, will come and be with us in their last days. And uh, that would mean that someone will pass away, you know, roughly every day at at Catholic Charities campus in this Porticelli House uh, program. The home is, it has uh, a number of purposes, really. I would say the first and most direct purpose is to care for that person whose uh, family members are living in far-flung places in the United States or elsewhere, or who have no um, children, let's say, to care for them, or their spouse has predeceased them or is elderly mm-hmm. themselves and can't care for them. Uh, that human body, that human person uh, needs to be cared for in those last days, and it is our calling then uh, to be there for them, to be Christ's love for them in those days. And so, uh, first and foremost, the mission of Porticelli House is to care for them. But it is also uh, to care for uh, those who come with them. Mm-hmm. So there may be a son or a daughter who lives in Cincinnati, cannot be there for the last uh, several months of their uh, parents' uh, passing because they have a job that they have to be at. Right. And so, as it draws near, uh, they can come and they can focus their energy and their time on their loved one and uh, not on the physical care so much. And so that in that way, we're working to uh, build or rebuild a relationship uh, that potentially is strained in many cases. Mm-hmm. I don't, it certainly doesn't happen in my family, but in some families, right. uh, not all relationships are perfect, right? <laughs> and so... I wouldn't know anything. No, that. I'm sure, I'm sure. And so what we are uh, then doing is moving out to the next circle and saying that the family who comes with this uh, person also uh, is somebody that we should help evangelize to help them understand the purpose of death and uh, the hope that comes actually in death. Uh, For both of them, I would say that there's an element of helping uh, to understand salvific suffering. 
death is uh, something that we want to look away from, to turn our eyes from and shield ourselves from. Right. And yet we can't do that when it's ourself or when it's maybe our parents. We eventually have to look at that. So what does it mean? And uh, how do we orient that towards uh, Christ? Mm-hmm. That will be a part of the mission of Porticelli House. The, uh, I would say the third circle, uh, if you will, going out a little bit further, is that this will evangelize uh, Catholic or non-Catholic uh, healthcare providers. And so many people will uh, see death in a new way through Porticelli House, even that work as a, a doctor, uh, an oncologist, let's say, or something of this mm-hmm. nature. And it gives us a chance to then speak about uh, death and dying uh, to them. And then I would say the last circle, if you will, is uh, the general public, the Catholic people who will come to uh, volunteer. Uh, they don't have a loved one that's dying right now, right. but but that high school student or that um, accountant or whoever that comes to volunteer mm-hmm. with us will now be able to see uh, the dying process. And this is a remote preparation right. for an eventuality for themselves or for a loved one. And so we have this remote and proximate and immediate uh, sense mm-hmm. of, um, of working with people at Porticelli House. Now, it's uh, uh, going to be a brand new facility that will be built. Uh, the groundbreaking is on May 7th at okay. uh, 3.30 p.m. We uh, then will go through probably a year of building and uh, hope to open up then in uh, 2016 with uh, 10 beds uh, for... Uh, the uh, initial onset, uh, a full capacity of 12 beds. We may even operate at the beginning at, uh, at, at half capacity just to make sure we can work out the kinks. Right. But, but we, uh, we eventually would have uh, as many as 12 people there. Now, Catholic Charities in general, uh, most of the people that you serve are not Catholic. Is that also going to be reflected in, in the Porticelli House? And how will that look? Right. When we serve people's needs uh, at uh, Catholic Charities or at Porticelli House, we serve them not not uh, because of any classification. Um, they uh, we serve them because of their dignity, and every person has dignity inherent within them. About eighty five percent of the people that we serve at Catholic Charities are not Catholic. It actually would be probably even greater if it were not for uh, the fact that many Hispanics in our diocese uh, are Catholic mm-hmm. and uh, are struggling. Uh, but I think at Porticelli House, we would look to about the same figure, mostly a non-Catholic audience, uh, but still an audience who is going to um, need to deal with death and to face that fact and to understand that their body is a part of who they are, a very real part of who they are, mm-hmm. and that uh, their resurrection um, will be a body and soul. And so we want to get them to the gate of heaven. Porticelli House means gate of heaven. We want to get them to the gate of heaven and then hand them over. Saints of God, come to their aid. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we pray that, we sing that at the end of a funeral mass. And uh, we are there in those last days uh, waiting for the saints of God and, and the angels of God to come and take this soul. And so it'll be a very special place. Uh, we'll have lots of saints and angels visiting us. Yeah. Thank you, Deacon Sartorius, for coming in and being with us today, uh, talking to us about Catholic Charities and about the, the Porticelli House. If you want more information, uh, you can find it on our social media at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls 
or on Twitter. Our handle there is at Outside the Walls, and you can find links to Catholic Charities here, to some photos of Catholic Charities uh, and of the Porticelli House. More information about that. When we come back, we're going to be giving away two books, encyclicals from St. Pope John Paul II. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Well, we just have a little bit of time left together today, and uh, I, I haven't given anything away yet. So I'm here with Deacon Kevin Sartorius, Executive Director of Catholic Charities here in the Diocese of Tulsa. And he's going to help us give away two books this week. You get two books. Uh, we're going to give away a copy of The Gospel of Life, which is an encyclical from St. Pope John Paul II. We're also going to give away a copy of the pastoral letter, the apostolic letter that we read earlier in the show, also from St. Pope John Paul II, called On the Christian Meaning of Suffering. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those, those sound like very uplifting books, but they're they're excellent reads uh, and really inform the work that you do there at Catholic Charities and and the work that we're to be about as Catholics. So go ahead and give us that that trivia question to help give that away. Okay, okay. Well, really, uh, Catholic Charities philosophy comes from an encyclical called God is Love, uh, which was by um, Holy Father Emeritus, Pope Benedict XVI, where he expresses in that a threefold responsibility of the church. Mm -hmm. And so the trivia question that I would ask is what is that essential threefold responsibility of the church. A little hint is it's found in Deus Caritas Est. All right, and you can answer that by giving me a call at 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. So thank you, Deacon, for coming in today. We really appreciate your time. God bless you for your show. Thank you so much. We're talking today, of course, about human suffering and the Christian meaning of human suffering. And that that may seem like an odd topic here at the end of Easter, but it's through Easter, through the Paschal mystery of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that human suffering becomes understandable and gets meaning. And, you know, I'm reminded of the story in the Gospel of John, John chapter 9, because a lot of times we in our culture have a very similar opinion to that that the, the disciples of Jesus had uh, in their time. And it went like this. Uh, they came across a man born blind, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And there's really that thought that we have that, that if something bad happens to us, it must be because we are bad or some we've been cursed in some way and that God is no longer merciful or just or kind. Uh, and, and this is really uh, something that maybe we get from the Psalms where uh, there's this black and white in the Psalms where the, the righteous are exalted and the wicked are punished. Uh, and and yet that's not how the world plays out for us very often. Uh, you know, we, we have 
the trust that in the final day, when we come before the throne of God, the righteous will be exalted and will be vindicated. But, but what happens between now and then, where we're walking this world and we experience suffering, whether it be the loss of a child or of a job, whether it be a broken relationship, uh, whether it be internal suffering or sickness, we experience the brokenness of the world. Uh, St. Paul in, in the book of Romans talks about uh, we experience the world groaning for redemption, that not only are our souls redeemed, but the whole of creation cries out to God for redemption. And we experience this brokenness and we want to know uh, what causes it. And so we look for something to blame and, and just like the disciples did. Did this man sin or did his parents that he was born blind? And truly, specifically in my part of the country, there's this whole branch of Protestantism uh, that promises if you have enough faith in God, that God will monetarily and physically bless you and you'll never have any problems again. Of course, when we expect that God's going to solve all of our problems, it makes for a very weak Christianity. Uh, there's a story of the parable of the sower and the seed, and it says that some of that seed landed on the rocky ground, and it sprang up quickly in joy, but then the sun came out, and it had no roots, and it withered. And we see that in Christianity, where people come uh, for the promise of peace, and the promise of hope, and the promise that everything's going to get easy, and they, they come to Christ, and then their problems don't go away, and the heat and the stress of life uh, bears down upon them and they have no root or grounding in Christ and they wither because the suffering has come. But Christ answered his apostles and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Rather, it is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. Uh, and this is the meaning of suffering, that God becomes glorified uh, through our suffering. That God brings us glory even through our suffering. In that apostolic letter that we read earlier, and that I'm giving away, if you call 918-928-KPIM with the answer to our question, what is the threefold responsibility of the Catholic Church? In that letter, in section 21, we read this. The cross of Christ throws salvific light in a most penetrating way on man's life, and in particular, on his suffering. For through faith, the cross reaches man together with the resurrection. The mystery of the passion is contained in the paschal mystery. The witnesses of Christ's passion are the same time witnesses of his resurrection. Paul writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Truly, the, the apostle first experienced the power of the resurrection of Christ on the road to Damascus, and only later, in this paschal light, reached that sharing in his sufferings of which he speaks. The path of Paul is clearly paschal. Sharing in the cross of Christ comes about through the experience of the risen one, therefore uh, through a special sharing in the resurrection. Thus, even in the apostle's expression on the subject, of suffering, there is so often appears the motif of glory, which finds its beginning in Christ's cross. Just as surely as Christ suffered and rose from the dead, he will redeem our own suffering and bring about wholeness in our spirit. Of course, there's so much more that we could say about this, but we don't have the time. 
So let's continue the conversation on social media at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter. Our handle is at outside the walls. Let us know how we can be praying for you and come and see how you can pray for others who are currently enduring suffering. We'll see you next week when we talk with Tom Grossman, founder of Communities of Prayer in Dallas, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.